This is episode number 32 with founder of the It's Mine movement, Camilla Williams. Welcome to the We Love Philly podcast. We are We Love Philly. Our mission is to promote volunteerism throughout the streets of Philadelphia and bring back the brotherly love to the city of brotherly love. Each week, we bring an individual or organization that's making Philly a better place. We hope you enjoy and let's dive in. You can't forgive without loving, and I don't mean sentimentality. I don't mean mush. I mean having enough courage to stand up and say, I forgive, I'm finished with it. Dr. Maya Angelou. Resilience is all about being able to overcome the unexpected. Sustainability is about survival. The goal of resilience is to thrive. By Jameis Casquillo. Welcome, everybody, to the We Love Philly podcast. We are joined today with Camilla Williams of the It's My Movement. We're also joined today by We Love Philly students, Ty Wilson. So, Yadiel Rodriguez. Hi. Anika Nelson. What up? Oh. And Cherish Green. Hello. If you're enjoying the improved audio quality of the podcast, make sure you check out RecPhilly.com. That is now where we record our podcast. Rec Philly is the number one space in Philadelphia for creators. So if you're ever in Rec Philly and you see the We Love Philly students running around, make sure you say what's up to them. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about how forgiveness is the quickest way to go from being a victim to being someone who can turn their life around. We also also talk about what it was like for a first-time volunteer. Camilla has never volunteered before until recently, and we actually uh, got to talk to her about what it's like to be a first-time volunteer. And we also talk about how important outreach is to the community. Beautiful. Thank you. Also, we are working on shirts oh, soon. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're working on shirts soon. The official We Love Philly words designed by no other than your boy. <laughs> when we get them sorted, we'll update you guys on all our platforms, and you'll see us rocking our merch. Yeah. I'm only doing a shirt like one time. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the process like of becoming a 501c3, like so all the pr- future proceeds like. of the shirt will go back into the We Love Philly program to uh, <sighs> get students a better experience learning how to be entrepreneurs and learning how to uh, be a part of the community. So here it is, our episode with Camilla Williams. like that's what a lot of us have in common in this room we all recently volunteered for the first time people think they don't have time to volunteer because their lives are too busy but in my opinion once i started volunteering i said oh the other things in my life can wait because when i leave volunteering i have way more energy more fulfilled yeah 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 i have way more energy after i'm done volunteering than i did before i started volunteering even if i did something like heavy lifting or whatever it was, I definitely have more energy after because that vibe is with me the rest of the day. So Camilla, what was it like for your first time? It was exciting. Why? Because it was my first experience. Because I want to do more outreach stuff. And with me, with the movement being so new and everything, I don't want to just jump into it like I know what I'm doing. I want to get with other organizations, other nonprofits. Some people, it's not really open to like spreading their information or how yeah. they did this and how they did that. But just the experience within itself. And then I even had to fight to do that. 
because it, you know every time when you plan on doing something good it's always something that's trying to like take you down so yeah that day when yeah. i showed up i was really really tired from exhausting friday night i stayed up i fried my four pans of chicken you know yeah. i just didn't feel like it but that friday night i stayed up and i woke up the next day and i was tired and usually i'd be like oh well you know they ain't gonna miss me i'll go back to sleep but like the hunger and really wanting to do what what it is i really want to do when i got up that morning nine o'clock in the morning said first of all i need my coffee before i do anything and when we got there it was like all hands all deck we just went to work and we stayed there from the time they were setting up to the time we were sweeping out the whole entire gym what was the event it was the food and toy drive i've always wanted to feed the community yeah like when we first met that was one of the things i'm saying like i want to do this i want to do that and i had to go back and be more realistic my problem is that my eyes could be bigger than my stomach i've learned that it's nothing wrong with having like great ideas and wanting to do things it's just certain steps that you really got to take to get there so feeding the community was something that i always wanted to do i got the, the chance to do that i got the chance to participate with seeing kids just want to dance around yeah. and it's like you said after the whole experience you feel like a different rush of energy i was playing out tired my body gave out of me. I went home. I got in the shower. I took a nap. But when I woke up and I thought about how I spent nice. the earlier of my day, I really felt so good. And it made me think about how it could really be had it been my event just to imagine how early Yanni probably had to be up yeah. and like setting stuff up. And I was texting her the night before and she was like, some people couldn't do this. Some people couldn't do that. And I feel like that's one of the things that happens when you got something great going on. There's always something that try to derail you or discourage you in a certain type of way. And I was just like, look, whatever it is, I'm showing up and we're going to help out the best way that we can. And I told her about you, that you were coming with your students. And it was, it all came together. Yeah. Like Regardless, it all comes together at the end. So it just made me think about when I go to do my outreach stuff and how early I got to be up in the morning. It's funny, whenever you're going to make a change that you've never done before, there's always that roadblock that comes in the way to see if you're really about changing. Mm -hmm. You said you wanted to volunteer. All right, let's see how bad did you want it. Ooh. So we're going to throw an, an obstacle in the way and mm -hmm. see if you can overcome it and see if you're really going to change. And when you do overcome that obstacle, it makes the situation worth it because mm -hmm. you already had the intention to do it, but you didn't see that other thing coming. So mm -hmm. when you do the other thing, as well you're just like oh yeah i'm strong like you yeah. start to feel yourself a little bit and you're i like, did because uh, if you don't even like the stuff that i went through the night before because i offered to make the, the chicken and everything and the night before i got into it with my folks and yeah. they try to mess up the chicken try to take it and i'm like it's crazy how it, it really works like that the devil really try to bring people in your path but i was like am i going to sit here and fight for it or i'm just going to get up early in the morning and go to giant and get some more chicken well it worked out the way that it did and i woke up the next morning and finished making the rest of the chicken and everything and I made it down here. If I had to fight the fight, then got to get up and make it happen, like, regardless. Period. So, period. You briefly spoke on outreach work. Could you elaborate on that? I have an ongoing clothing drive. You guys are more than welcome to come and help and volunteer. And you probably have moms and grandmoms or aunties who have a whole bunch of clothes that nobody's wearing and all those stuff are goods to people who need it. So some people don't have the mind space or even the help to have someone come out and help you sort it out. There are some people who want to um, donate clothes, but they don't have people to help them even 
begin to start cleaning out clutter. And unbeknownst, it's another part of a mental health issue, the clutter. Yeah. Is another part of depression. What's your organization that you're trying to raise awareness for? Sex abuse and human trafficking. The mission is to go into the schools and talk to children about the signs of predatory behavior. I feel like there are a lot of kids in elementary school, even younger, because I was younger than that, who go through elementary school, they go through high school, being abused at home. It's not always just sexual abuse, but they're being abused at home and they don't know how to speak out about it or they're getting the weird advances from their stepdad or their uncle or whoever the case is and don't know it's wrong or they know it's wrong, don't say anything because it's scared or they said something before and nobody did anything, so they continue to endure it. So where the movement come in is that I go and try to encourage these classroom full of 15 or 20 people, let them know the rights and the wrongs, and that's the main reason why I'm also fundraising for a safe house. So when I do pursue this mission, let's say I have five out of 15 children who is this happening to and they're just like ready to speak up, you know that you have a whole movement behind you, you have somewhere to go, we can put them in jail. You will get counseling. And these are the type of things that I'm really working for because I feel like a lot of people say that our kids are the future. It's really the truth. And these are the same things that people used to say when I was younger. But a lot of us are growing up really screwed up in the head because of stuff we went through when we were younger. And I feel like if we can stop it at a certain point, you won't have people growing up in their 30s who stuck as that scared 10 to 12 your old kid. What's the name of your movement? It's my movement. Awesome. It's mine is taking ownership, letting it be known that it's my body, it's my mind, it's my choice. You have no right to violate me. You have no right to do anything with me except for love me. And if you can't do that, then you need to be out of my space. There are a lot of parents that have boyfriends or brothers or even girlfriends or aunties who's just into children and they will protect them. They'll talk to you like you're crazy or try to make you believe that you're crazy. It sounds like you have a personal experience. It is a personal experience. So my abuser was my father. It happened from the time I was four to 14. I personally didn't say anything, but my older sister did. My sister said something to a counselor in school which is kind of the inspiration behind me going to the schools because when you really think about it, a lot of children, their outlet away from home is school, which is why they get into different activities or which is why they are on the honor roll and stuff like that because they're trying to find something else to distract their mind from what they're really going home to. Me personally, I said something to my grandmother and my aunt. She doesn't really admit it, but... You know, when you're a kid, certain things, certain images is just not something that you can be like, oh, I'm making up. I know for a fact I walked in a room with my sister holding my hand and told my grandmother this. And then after that, I remember her um, having my dad move out. He was never arrested. And then when I got older, I became angry about it because I never really had a relationship with my mom. But with my grandmother, I did. So I expected her to, like, do more than just put him out. I have three uncles so like why is nobody doing anything and that goes back to me saying that you have people in your family who will protect them and I feel like my family were protecting my father for whatever reason it's not even this is not their kin my mother is their kin children are smarter than what a lot of adults get them credit for 
And they know when something is off and they know when something is wrong. And because they're children, they are disregarded. Let's just say it never happened. And she's just getting a feel. Yeah, he looks at me weird. He say these things to me that's just not appropriate for a grown man to say to a 12-year-old girl. And they'll say something and nobody does anything. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why when I go and talk out to the children, I mainly really want to speak to the kids that they consider with bad behavior because I feel like there are so many reasons behind why they act the way that they do. And they just dismiss them. They just disregard them and don't really know that they're going through a lot of stuff at home. That's another reason why I am doing a support group. I want it to be like an after-school thing for kids to come to, do your homework, and we just talk about real stuff. It's a no-judgment zone. I don't care how you express yourself as long as you do because there are a lot of kids who walk around with a lot of internal anger and it comes out in bad behavior. So in order to get some of that internal angle out, just as adults, they say go to therapy, talking about it. But that's the same way for these kids. How are you able to deal with your anger? It started with sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had to acknowledge I had an anger or attitude problem. I had to make myself aware that I'm angry for reasons that nobody have anything to do with. I'm really angry with myself. So I needed to figure out what I'm angry with myself about. It literally came to a point in my life where I finally decided that I was not going to go through and live the rest of my life an angry person. I literally felt the hate in my heart. So I had to not only go to therapy, I had to be realistic with myself and know who was I really mad at outside of myself. Now I just deal with it through laughter and comedy I guess. Is there any forgiveness in that situation? That's funny because I was just talking about that last night. Mm. I, I forgave my mom a long time ago because my mom has a mental illness. Because my mother has a mental disability she wouldn't be able to grasp everything as to how I feel and I understand. When I was still in my angry phases I used to try to talk to my mother about it and I would see that it's also a trigger for her and even though she ain't really want to talk about it, she'll talk around the situation or she'll get up and move or something. But, like, my mother would do this thing where I'll start talking about it or whatever, and she'll, like, while she's responding, she'll, like, blinking her eyes, like, really tight as if she's having thoughts that she's just trying to keep out or something. So when I started to learn that it was a trigger for her and I knew that it's just some people in your life who you would never get an apology from, and at some point you just have to come to peace with that so even though i know that i I will never have a mother-daughter relationship with my mom i'm okay with being able to pick up the phone and call my mother and see what she doing because through the years i saw her i saw her remorse and i saw her regret and stuff like that and i guess it made it like a little bit more easier for me as far as my dad go i traveled that road of forgiveness or redemption as i say because i actually wrote a poem about it i traveled that road of redemption like last year Mm. he ended up being incarcerated and my father was my core issue so i decided to write him and let him know i want to come and see you put me on your list here's my information and that was that and then after that my car kept on messing up so i never got down to the jail and by the time he was released he actually ended up calling me and I realized that to hear his voice is still a trigger for me Mm -hmm. 
I know that to be in his presence would make it even worse. I'm I'm not from here. I'm from Jersey. So I separated myself <laughs> for a reason. And when I spoke to him, um, he was just telling me about how he was trying to rehabilitate himself, how he knew not to be around kids, how that he knew where his boundaries were and stuff like that, how he needed to exit rooms. And then I asked him if he ever admitted what he did to not just me, all of his daughters. So I asked him that and he was like, yeah, and then he started crying. And at some point I didn't really feel anything. I don't know if he was really remorseful or if he was playing a victim card. Because when I was younger, my experience with him is playing a victim card. Crying out, oh, something's hurting. Oh, I can't breathe. My chest hurt or something. I went through a long phase of my life feeling like I can literally beat this man to death with my hands. Which is why I knew that it wasn't time for me to see him face to face. And I don't know if I continue to search for that type of forgiveness. I go through my days and I don't think about him. I don't really get sad, oh, why does this happen to me? I know that what I've been through will not be in vain. I know that for a fact, and that's where my strength comes in. When it comes to that type of level of hurt, I keep trying to, like, pick and poke if I really forgave him or not, because how do I really go on to live my life or or to encourage other children that's going through stuff like that and I don't know if I forgave my abuser or not. Do you think forgiveness is what you're looking for? Do you think that through forgiveness that the control that the situation has on you will go away? That the dark cloud that it puts over your brain anytime you imagine mm. seeing your dad in person, do you think that will go away through forgiveness? Or do you think there's another answer? I really don't even know, but I didn't want him to die and me not give myself that chance to at least confront him or say something, because I didn't say anything. I'm also writing a book titled You Don't Know My Life, and it's also my healing process, and I'm reliving these things I used to go through and everything, and I really feel like I'm okay. I just have moments where I'm just like, yeah, no, damn them all to hell. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like what you're doing is really, really important. Thank I'm you. 17 years old. Mm -hmm. For four years of my life, I was abused. And my abuser is someone very, very close to me. Mm -hmm. And I said something. Like you said, you felt like your grandmother was someone you could confide in. Mm -hmm. My grandmother. And when I told her, I expected a completely different outcome. Mm -hmm. I thought she would do more than what she did. Mm. And, you know, he was kind of pardoned for his behavior mm. or whatever. And I was angry. And I was delinquent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was horrible. All of high school, this I was all a wreck. Recent. Poor baby. I was a wreck all of high school. Mm -hmm. And this summer I turned 17. I realized to myself, do I want to be like this for the rest of my life? Like, am I really this angry? Mm -hmm. And I'm the funny friend, the mm -hmm. goofy friend, the nice friend. Me too. Instead of waiting for someone to check on me, I checked on myself. I was like, this mm -hmm. is not good, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't need to be this way. And the healing process is a very strategic process. Because and the earlier you start, yeah, the I'm better glad I off caught you are. it now. So I feel like, you know, you going into the schools and talking to children, not just girls, but boys too, because mm -hmm. I feel like hurts people, hurt people. Something must have happened to him for mm -hmm. him to inflict such pain upon me. Mm -hmm. And if someone would have got to him, or if you can get to other kids, then, you know, 
you can save a lot of lives, a lot mm. of souls. That's where it hurts the most. I give you all my love. And if you need to talk, you know, on my strength queen, I was really, it came out when I was 15. It stopped when I was 14. And the only reason why I stopped was because I decided to get an older boyfriend. That was my way of stopping it. But it was people who always knew when I got into the system and everything, it was people who I always had around me, like you have Carlos, who knew that even though I was angry, I was lashing out, I'll talk all crazy. They just knew that I had a greater potential than what I was really showing and knew that I was hurting from something I wasn't willing to talk about. I just encourage you to keep on going and not to be discouraged. You know how to protect yourself. You know how to say something. Just because somebody didn't protect you doesn't mean you can't protect yourself. You don't have to be around them. You have the power over your life to do whatever it is that you really want to do. And I feel like I wouldn't even be doing the things that I'm doing now had that not happened to me. I feel like I forgave him without speaking words Mm because I can sit in a room with him and look at him and speak to him. And I feel like most of my forgiveness came from me trying to understand where it came from with Mm -hmm. him. And I could look at him and talk to him and be just fine. I went through that experience two years ago. My father was adopted, so there was but so much information that I can really get to know about his background. I found out that he was adopted because he was born with drugs in the system, so he was a crack baby. It has happened to him. He also has a mental disability as well. So now that I'm saying that, it just kind of makes me wonder what it is I'm really still looking for because I did search and try to look for that type of understanding that maybe if I knew what he'd been through and then I still get angry like, well, they don't got nothing to do with what he did for me. And I, and I guess that just comes with choosing to forgive within myself and the part of forgiveness is first forgiving yourself. I had to learn how to forgive myself first because I would still get angry. That's why I always keep thinking of forgiveness because mm-hmm. when you start to see what happened to you in your childhood and you start to see what you always wanted in that time frame, Mm -hmm. you can then go from being the victim into being, oh, this was my purpose. Like you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier in the conversation, you said, oh, there's a reason why this happened to me. Oh, the reason's Mm -hmm. because I'm supposed to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else, Mm -hmm. right? And in order to do that, in my opinion, which is why I work where I work and why I work in the neighborhood I work and why I've always been where I've been is because when I was younger, I went through the physical abuse. I was on medication three times a day. I wasn't social. I was just sitting on a couch drugged for the majority of my childhood. Mm. And knowing that I always wanted a mentor and wanted someone to show me how life was, Mm -hmm. then you see what you went through and go, oh, this is why I went through it because I'm supposed to be that mentor. Mm -hmm. or be that big brother, be that person to help make sure it doesn't happen to the other people. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get there until I forgave my grandmother for medicating me. I forgave my mom for abandoning us when we were younger and forgave my father for not always being there. But Mm -hmm. it all came through forgiveness. And once that forgiveness was there, then the joy came out, then the Mm -hmm. love came out, then the extra energy to help make sure that other people don't go through it came out. But it wasn't until... I forgave myself and Mm -hmm. then I forgave everyone in my family for what happened and now it's my strength. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a a huge thing in Philly that so many people are going through is Mm -hmm. they're starting to wake up and see what they went through. And 
they need a little bit more inching towards the forgiveness part because mm-hmm. once that forgiveness is out there, then then we can start changing that our communities true. on the mm-hmm. ground. Because I even went for that search of forgiveness with my family because I also blame them too. In my book, I'm the youngest girl. I have older cousins that's well in their 30s or 40s and stuff. And I have my aunts and my uncles. And I'm like, I'm an aunt to a bunch. <laughs> and I can only imagine had this happened to one of my nieces and nephews. Yeah. And actually, it was. I just recently found out about it. And when I found out about that, it was like a few days after I started my movement. And it was like, if you need another reason to know why you're doing this, this is why you're doing yeah. it. And when I first aged out of um, the foster care system, I tried to go and be a mentor. And like a lot of um, companies would be like, oh, well, you have to be out of the system for at least six months or you have to be out for at least a year. You're too close in age. And it didn't just dawn on to me until recently that I was getting a lot of no's back then just so I can do my own thing now. Can't nobody tell me that I can't do what I'm doing now. Can't nobody tell me I don't have the school experience. I mean, I did a semester. Not saying go to college, kids. (laughs) But (laughs) I did a semester of um, community college, and then I found out that really wasn't for me. And like her, throughout my high school years, I spent majority of my high school years either sleeping in class, skipping class. I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth, (laughs) for real. It kind of makes me upset now because... I always wanted to go to a HBCU, a historical black college. I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to experience living on campus. And as I get older, that's one of the regrets that I have. So if I go into the schools and I talk to these kids early on, they have a better chance at finishing school and going on to college if that's what they want to do. It's cool that you went on the redemption journey and the forgiveness journey. And it might have been even a blessing for those people to tell you to wait until you're a little older because I found that if I were to help someone in my early 20s, I would have just been throwing my trauma onto them. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand it yet. I didn't Mm -hmm. forgive anyone yet. And throughout my early 20s, I kept hurting all the women I was with. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything of it until I had that light bulb moment that, oh, I'm doing this because of trauma I had when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Aniko, I know you've been patiently waiting. What was your story? Yeah, talk to us, Aniko. I'm excited. You said what I was about to say. What, go ahead. That what you should do is, like, forgive the people that did it to you because at the end of the day, you don't know what they went through. But then again, it's like, it's better times that will come. And God made this happen to you for a reason Mm -hmm. like to help other people that's going through the same thing like teenagers because I watch a lot of SVU and like I said Steve Wiggles too Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of that because like Steve Wiggles that show Mm -hmm. and like yeah I thought thought Steve Wiggles was going to be like Maury but it's not it's more like into it people that's like and he don't cut nobody no slack you know what he's kind of honestly he is how I got into the movement. One day I was at work doing something I ain't supposed to be doing. I was watching this Steve Woko show. <laughs> Not necessarily watching it. I was listening to it. And it was these girls. They were on there trying to prove that their mom didn't know that their dad was doing this to them. While they were on the show, he just kept expressing, like, tell somebody, you know, tell a teacher, tell your, your closest people. Tell just He kept saying, just tell somebody, tell somebody. And I said, hmm. Tell somebody, that sounds like something 
real interesting. It does like a movement. So then like I Googled it or whatever and I found like it's only one other person in this United States who actually is doing the same kind of mission that I am. She's in California and her organization is called Tell Somebody. So I was like, well, since somebody already got that name, I'm not going to be discouraged. What can I name it to make it stand out? And it's mine. Yeah. So if you could go back in time and tell the teenage version of you three things, what would you tell you and why? Oh, God. I tell myself to leave these men alone. <laughs> I would have told myself to focus on school, mm-hmm. to pay attention, go to class and to not put myself into situations that could get me easily hurt or killed, period. <laughs> so I wanna take a second to send some love your way. Oh, I, I you. appreciate everything that you're doing and sharing your story. You. Uh, I feel like it's going to help a lot of people who feel stuck in that position. I also mm-hmm. appreciate you, Cherish, a lot for sharing. Thank, uh, you. thank you for sharing your personal story, I feel like. Whoever's out there listening can really learn a lot if they're stuck in this terrible situation. And I really appreciate mm-hmm. you for taking the leadership role and wanting to go out there and speak to students. Working in a school in the last six years, a lot of teenagers are going through this and mm-hmm. I feel like they don't have a voice. And for you to share your story and help young people, I appreciate you a lot for it. So thank you. Well, thank you. So what message do you have for teenagers and kids that are going through what you went through? I would say say something. Say something to somebody that you know for a fact don't play about you. Say something to somebody that you know for a fact who's going to stand by your side. You could say something to a police officer. You could say something to someone in the schools. And sometimes a lot of teenagers say something to their friends, which is a good way to get it out. But your friend isn't going to help you the way that another adult or a police officer or a detective can really help you. If you've been sexually violated, the day of, the night of, or the next day, I advise that you go and get yourself a kit done. Go to the emergency room to have that evidence. You deserve justice. You deserve peace. You deserve not to be violated. And I'll just tell them that it's my movement is working towards getting to getting you up out of there because it's really a movement and like i'm with it i'm with all of it period period <laughs> so how can we find more about it's mind movement how can we volunteer or how can we support do you have a website social media i'm still working on a website um on facebook it's it's my movement llc me i see a boy and a girl with the bullhorns that's the the, our symbol to not be silenced with the bullhorns on Instagram. It's it's my movement. You can email me. It's my movement at outlook.com. If you like to volunteer, if you like to join the cause, I'm always looking for people who are resourceful to join the cause with outreach work. I'm always looking for people to volunteer. I'm just still putting more outreach work together. But as far as the mission and the motive behind it, I'm always looking for people who want to be a part of the cause. We have this usual thing we do in the We Love Philly podcast. We want to know what your definition of love is. My definition of love, I always resort to the Bible where they say love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't rejoice in evilness. It isn't boastful, it isn't proud. I feel like love is love, love is genuine. I love people. 
Amazing answer. <laughs> Thank you. 